about that intro, huh? Some holiday cheer right there. Welcome to a special Christmas edition of the Join My League Football Podcast. And I'm going to start off the show today by doing something that I don't normally do. I'm going to start off doing something that I told myself I would never do unless it was an extremely serious and the situation called for it. And that's stray away from the football conversation entirely. This is an NFL football podcast 99.99% of the time. That 0.01% of the time, it's reserved for those moments we have to sit back and forget about football for a minute, understand that football is just a game, and focus on a serious issue. 9-11 comes to mind, um, a Pearl Harbor situation that would be another instance, moments of reflection and remembrance. You know, those times where we have to sit back, put all political differences aside, and come together as a country. And Christmas is the perfect time to do that. Not just because it's Christmas and that's what we do, but because there are actually people out there who think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and that is a real problem. Those people are the real enemy, and this idea that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, it needs to be put to rest forever, and that's what I intend on doing right now. I have a good friend, a good friend of mine who obviously really isn't that good of a friend after all. He thinks Die Hard is a Christmas movie, so I asked him to tell me what makes it a Christmas movie. Well, this simpleton did zero work in his response. He sent me a leak to a website that gives 10 reasons why Die Hard is indeed a Christmas movie. So being the hardworking American that I am, I'm going to pick up the slack, do work, and actually break this crummy list down one wrong reason at a time. Starting off with reason number one, why Die Hard is a Christmas movie, because it takes place on Christmas. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's your number one reason. Huh? It takes place on Christmas. John McClane arrives in Los Angeles on Christmas Eve to go to his wife's Christmas party. Most people think right off the bat that it's unrealistic to think there's a Christmas work party on Christmas Eve. And while that is true, no work in the history of work has ever had their party on Christmas Eve. But that's okay, because the whole notion of Christmas isn't real anyway, right? In fact, a lot of Christmas movies are unrealistic. Elf isn't very realistic now, is it? You know, but the difference between Elf, which is a Christmas movie, and Die Hard, which is not a Christmas movie, is that you can remove Christmas from Die Hard and have yourself a pretty good action flick. If you remove the Christmas theme from Elf, you basically have an overgrown, mentally retarded man on the chase to find his real father. And that would go over real well with the politically correctness of today. And you would have to change the name of the movie entirely. You wouldn't be able to call it Elf. What would you call it? You would still be able to at least call Die Hard Die Hard if, if you remove the Christmas element from Die Hard. And the movie would work just fine centered around the 4th of July. You could literally replace all of the minor Christmas references with America, Independence Day, and that would be just fine. Reason number two why Die Hard is a Christmas movie, according to this bogus list, the book in which the movie is based off of is centered around Christmas. We just went over this. It's essentially the same reason you gave as reason number one. John McClane wants to reconnect with his family for Christmas. Well, it could be changed to a birthday. Maybe his kid's birthday is coming up and things go awry. It could be changed and it could still work. Reason number three, it has Christmas music in it. Of course, Winter Wonderland is played in the background. 
Except everyone can do without Winter Wonderland because winter is the worst of all seasons. Garbage. So that's out the window. Let It Snow also plays during the movie. Except the movie, as mentioned previously, takes place in Los Angeles where there is no snow. Makes no sense. That song has no place in Die Hard and whoever was in charge of putting together the Die Hard soundtrack needs an education. Reason number four. The events of the movie don't work unless it's Christmas. Yeah, they do. Again, the movie is centered around terrorists. Terrorism. I'm going to keep saying it. The 4th of July would have been a much better theme for the movie and would make it that much more American. And it would make more sense. Number five, reason number five, Christmas references. Let me just say that four of the first five reasons on this list are all related and provide the same argument. This, this is really a lazy list, you know, and, and, and the people who put it together should be ashamed of themselves. I'm not going to keep repeating myself. Number six, rewatchability. You can watch this movie around Christmas year after year and get the same fuzzy feeling you had when you first watched it. I could also watch this movie in the summertime, when it was released, by the way, and enjoy it just the same. You cannot watch A Christmas Story in June. I mean, you can technically watch A Christmas Story in June, but if you ever do watch Christmas Story in June, you should be declared insane and put in a straitjacket. I can absolutely watch Die Hard in June and enjoy it just the same, and if you disagree, you're lying to yourself. Number seven, the writer says it. Stephen E. DeSouza co-wrote the movie, and Stephen E. says Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Well, Bruce Willis was the star of the movie, and he says it's not a Christmas movie. Whose words are you taking? These two cancel each other out. Reason number eight, and this is where it gets good. It's actually a metaphor for celebrating Christmas as an adult. Good gracious, mother of all that is holy. Are you kidding me? How, how is that a reason and how is that a metaphor? I think the sanity of whoever wrote this lazy article needs to be questioned. Where is the metaphor? What does terrorists trying to kill John McClane and his family have anything to do with Christmas? The answer is nothing. It's got nothing to do with Christmas. Reason number nine is a question. It says, what is a Christmas movie? So... You're telling me that you took the time out of your day to write up this article and towards the end of the article, you admit to the rest of us that you don't even know what a Christmas movie is. You compare it to the classic Home Alone, which I personally think the Christmas credentials of Home Alone could be questioned. But you compare it to Home Alone by saying Home Alone is a Christmas movie and it's about a family who forgets their child at home. But since it takes place around Christmas, we consider it a Christmas movie. So what's the difference? There really isn't a difference, and although I think Home Alone is more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard, notice you fail to compare Die Hard to Christmas movies that are 100% without a doubt Christmas movies. Christmas Vacation, A Christmas Story, Elf, Bad Santa, Miracle on 34th Street. Try comparing Die Hard to those movies. You can't do it because those are actually Christmas movies without a doubt, and Die Hard is not. And the final reason this list considers Die Hard to be a Christmas movie and perhaps the best reason yet, it's a great movie. That's why it's a Christmas movie. That's, that's it. It's, it's a great movie. That's their reason. Number 10, the last reason. I'm giving you one more chance to convince me that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and that's the reason you're going to give me? Because it's a great movie? Trying to figure out how to respond to that, I'm really at a loss. 
You could take this entire list of 10 reasons why Die Hard is a Christmas movie, break it down, combine at least five of these reasons you give, combine them together since they're all related, maybe nix a couple of them, and you'd have a list of three stupid reasons. It's an insane argument to make. You know what makes a movie a Christmas movie? Besides the fact that you don't have to argue whether it's a Christmas movie or not. How about actual Christmas quotes? Quotes about Christmas. I want an official Red Rider carbine action 200 shot range model air rifle. Santa, I know him. And we're going to have the happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap dance with Danny Kay. Those are some of the main reasons why Christmas Story, Elf, and Christmas Vacation are Christmas classics. Somehow the most famous quote of Die Hard, yippee ki motherfucker, doesn't make me feel very festive. So one more time for those in the back, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, and it never will be a Christmas movie. Your list is bullshit. Can't see the line, can you, Russ? No. All right, now, finally, on to some football talk. Pro Bowl rosters were released just a couple of days ago, and while the actual Pro Bowl game is meaningless and borderline intolerable, I have to admit, I watch it, if not for any other reason, than to just take in what little football remains in late January. But for those not aware, the rosters were released, and you can find the uh, both NFC and AFC Pro Bowl rosters at NFL.com. And as the case, as is the case in every year, there were some pretty big snubs. None bigger, in my opinion, than Andrew Luck. How Tom Brady got voted in over Andrew Luck it just shows how flawed the voting system really is. Really a popularity contest. Uh, reputation might have something to do with it. And as I mentioned, the game, the Pro Bowl game itself is useless. But just to being named to the Pro Bowl is a pretty nice feather in the cap. And Andrew Luck deserves his feather over Tom Brady this year. Their yardage totals are very similar. They've both thrown for almost 4,000 yards so far with two weeks to go. And while Luck has four more interceptions than Brady, he also has 11 more touchdown passes. Cowboys rookie, uh, rookie linebacker Leighton Vanderesh lost out on his chance to go to Orlando this year, and I consider that a pretty big snub in its own right. However, the inside linebacker position, only, it only garners two Pro Bowl slots, and putting Vanderesh in, you'd have to remove somebody. And who are you going to take out? Are you going to take out Bobby Wagner or Luke Keekley? If, they, if neither of them got the vote, that would be more asinine than Van Der Esch missing the cut. So I can live with that one. However, let it be known that Leighton Van Der Esch is absolutely a Pro Bowl caliber player. Alvin Kamara went on social media immediately after the rosters were announced and he emojied his sarcastic displeasure. Again, a snub in its own right, but the running back position only yields three spots. And how can you put Kamara or even Christian McCaffrey in over uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, or Todd Gurley? The top three rushers in the league, and you're going to take one of them out? I don't think you can. Alvin Kamara, much like Van Der Esch, he's a Pro Bowl caliber football player most of the year, but his yardage totals just don't add up to Zeke, Barkley, or Gurley. Kamara deserves a Pro Bowl nod. Just not as much as the top three rushers in the league do. And as I said, the same can be said for Christian McCaffrey. However, Colts linebacker Darius Leonard was also left, uh, left off the list. And that's absurd. Completely 100% absurd. Darius Leonard leads the league in tackling as a rookie. He's got more tackles than any other rookie through the first 14 games in NFL history. He's got seven sacks, four forced fumbles, seven pass deflections, and an inter interception. 
Darius Leonard's tweet minutes after the rosters were released was, wow. That's, that's all any of us could say after seeing him get snubbed. But it is what it is, you know. We all know the Pro Bowl roster is a popularity contest. It's designed to get the biggest names on the field, regardless of talent. And I'm sure there's plenty more snubs, ones that I'm missing. So if there are, are any that I missed, drop me a line on Facebook or Instagram and uh, let me know who you think the biggest Pro Bowl snub of 2019 is. Fuller, go easy on the Pepsi. It is likely the last week of your fantasy season, and if you made the finals, good luck. Go out, enhance your Christmas season by winning some extra cash. As for fantasy talk this week, I've come up with my very own all-fantasy team for 2018. It's kind of like an all-pro team, kind of like a Pro Bowl, but for fantasy football. I had fun doing the research on this, and as always, if you would disagree with my selections, I invite you to let me know that that way I can tell you how wrong you are. At quarterback, there's really no one else to even consider except for Patrick Mahomes. 371 fantasy points on the year up until this point, and the second highest scoring quarterback isn't even close. Matt Ryan would have to be your backup at 306 points. It's not even close. Patrick Mahomes all day long. At running back, also a no-brainer, Todd Gurley leads all fantasy football players with 372 points. The other starter, Christian McCaffrey, got 350 points so far on the year. Wide receivers, Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill with 305 and 290 points, uh, 292 points respectively. I think DeAndre Hopkins, Adam Thielen, they would also have to be considered or even mix and matched. You know, they deserve a ton of credit for their fantasy performances this season. At tight end, I'm going to have to go with Travis Kelsey. And yeah, I'll put him in over Zach Ertz. Not only has Kelsey put up over 30 points than Ertz, the difference is the amount of duds that uh, Zach Ertz has put up throughout the year. Tight ends like Ertz, top two or three at the position, they're expected to net at least 15 points a game. Zach Ertz has four games with less than 10 points a game, while Kelsey has one. And that was back in week one when the Chiefs played the Chargers for the first time. And defense, there's no other correct answer than the Chicago Bears defense. They average 12.1 fantasy points per game, which is 3.6 higher, 3.6 points higher than the next highest. Eight and a half for Houston. Not even a debate. As far as kickers, you can take any. Because kickers, in fantasy football, kickers do not matter. Which leads me to this. I'd like to start a petition for ESPN, uh, Yahoo, NFL, wherever, to just get rid of kickers on fantasy football teams. Combine them with defenses or something. After all, your fantasy defense includes special teams, does it not? And kicking is special teams. Kicking extra points, kicking field goals, that is considered special teams. For those of you who think kickers are a part of the offense, take a look at the other side of the ball. You know, if a defense blocks a kick or takes the ball back to the opposing end zone, that's two points for your defense, or some points for your defense, depending on scoring. Same should be applied for kicking a field goal. The point should be applied to your defense special teams. I just think kickers take up a very coveted roster spot that could be used for an additional flex, something along those lines. You know, removing kickers has been a topic of debate for a while, and I think it's time to move, for, uh, move forward with that idea. And my main problem is they take up a draft pick. You have to spend a draft pick on a kicker. And no one with a brain selects a kicker prior to the last round of the draft. In fact, I know a lot of people that leave the draft room early and just auto-select a kicker. 
I think it would be a lot more interesting to actually have that last pick matter. Your kicker is a lottery ticket. Unless your kicker has a Daniel Carlson or Mason Crosby type of week, chances are you only change your kicker during the bye week. Removing the kicker slot would open up an additional roster spot for a flex. And that's my argument, and I'm sticking to it. Who are we taking this week? There's no, uh, there is no Thursday night game, and that is depressing to me. As a fake businessman, I understand why players hate the games, but as a fan, I love them. And contrary to popular belief, Thursday night games have been fantastic for the most part this season. Vikings, Rams, Saints, Cowboys, Chargers, Chiefs can be considered three of the best games all year, and they all took place on Thursday night football. But Thursday night football, it's done for the year. And let me just say that the two Thursday night games that I picked this season, I won both of them. But I digress. Thursday night football is over, and we just got a deal. But we do have Saturday games this week, as we did last week also. And that is also depressing to me, because that spells the end of the regular season. Two weeks left, ladies and gents. Two weeks left of football season. And as I, as always, I'm going to make five picks this week and five picks next week for week 17. And while there will be no episode next week, I will post picks via social media. Not so much Twitter. I really don't use it. But Instagram, Facebook, uh, picks are going to be uploaded there next week. So make sure you give those pages a like and a follow. As far as this week and next week goes, tons of scenarios in play regarding the playoffs. And tons of stuff happened last week, as I said it would in regards to playoff situations. A victory over the Dolphins gave the Vikings a very good chance at making the playoffs, and with that victory, the Vikings single-handedly eliminated five teams. The Giants, the Falcons, the Buccaneers, the Lions, and the Packers have all been eliminated this past week thanks to the Vikings' victory over the Dolphins. The Eagles could clinch the NFC East if they win out, and the Cowboys lose out. The Eagles can also grab a wild card seed if they win out and the Vikings lose one of their last two games. The Vikings go to Detroit this week and they host the Bears next week. It's going to be very interesting. And uh, speaking of the Bears, they clinched the NFC North this past weekend with an impressive win over the Green Bay Packers. And they're now fighting for playoff seeding. The Chargers clinched a playoff spot. They could still grab the AFC East division title and the number one seed by winning out and having the Chiefs just lose one game. Uh, Houston. Houston jumped ahead of the New England Patriots for the number two seed and the uh, second first round bye. And the most interesting scenario to me, the New Orleans Saints could be and probably will be at home all the way up until the Super Bowl. They have the Steelers at the Dome this week. They host Carolina next week, and in all likelihood, the Saints are going to grab the number one seed, having a home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So it's likely the next time the Saints go on the road is the Super Bowl, should they make it that far. For a full list of playoff scenarios, check out the Join My League Instagram account at Join My League Podcast. I will be uploading full scenarios prior to Saturday's games. And speaking of the Saturday games, the Baltimore Ravens travel to L.A. to take on the Chargers at 8.30 Eastern Time. The Chargers are looking to build off last week's 29-28 victory over the division-leading Chiefs last week. L.A. should have Keenan Allen and Melvin Gordon back from injuries. They should have him back this week, and that's great news for a team with aspirations for home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Meanwhile, Baltimore is putting serious pressure on the division-leading Pittsburgh Steelers by winning four of their last five games. 
a loss by the Chiefs and a win by LA, that would vault the Chargers from the current five seed to the number one seed. And a win here by Baltimore combined with the Steelers lost, that would propel the Ravens from the sixth seed to the fourth seed heading into the final week of the season. Lots of stuff going on, but a loss by Baltimore would almost assure an AFC North division title to Pittsburgh and maybe more importantly, create a chance for the Colts or Titans to steal the spot from the Ravens. As far as the game matchup itself between the Ravens and Chargers, the Ravens have named Lamar Jackson starter at quarterback and call me crazy, but I don't think he makes the Ravens better. Jackson makes the Ravens running game better, but he doesn't have traditional quarterback mechanics. He doesn't own the passing ability to test the defense as talented as the Chargers who rank eighth against the pass. The Chargers rank ninth against the run and make no mistake, they're gonna have their hands full against a Ravens team that can all of a sudden run on anybody. And the Ravens also boast the league's best scoring defense. However, the LA Chargers are arguably the most complete team in the AFC. And call me crazy, but I have just a little more faith in Phillip Rivers than I do Lamar Jackson. Combine that with the fact that the Chargers are at home and LA is the smart pick here. Chargers win 20-17. to Another game with massive playoff implications takes place at 1, day, uh, 1 p.m. on Sunday. The Texans travel to Philadelphia to take on the suddenly surging defending Super Bowl champion Eagles. And let's get one thing straight right off the bat. Nick Foles is not, I repeat, is not better than Carson Wentz. Nick Foles does not make the Eagles better. Nick Foles is not that good. But there does seem to be some mystical presence about him. And I think that matters here. I went against the Eagles hardcore last week against the Rams and it blew up in my face. Needless to say, I'm very hesitant going against the Eagles this week. And combine that with the fact that Philadelphia, they're desperate. Whether as a division winner or a wild card, the Eagles' only hope in making the playoffs is to win out and get some help in the process. A loss here combined with the Vikings' victory knocks Philly out of the playoff contention altogether. But the Vikings play at 1 p.m. as well, so Philly's going to be focused and they're going to play their hearts out. Hard-nosed, desperate football, not knowing what their fate holds while their game is being played. And while any other week I'd go with Houston, as they are the more complete team, I think last week's victory against the Rams did something to the Eagles. And the rest of the NFL should be worried. So give me the home team, final score, Eagles 21, uh, Texans 14. And the other team from Pennsylvania, the Pittsburgh Steelers, are going to travel south to New Orleans to take on the very best team in the NFL, the Saints. And I don't think that's a very debatable statement. The Saints are the best team in the NFL right now, and it's really difficult to go against New Orleans here. It seems like even when the Saints don't play very well, they find a way to win. Meanwhile, the Steelers are one of the most unpredictable teams in the NFL, and that unpredictable factor makes Pitt an intriguing option if you're making bets on Sunday, if you're maybe feeling a little ballsy. You know, maybe if Pitt was traveling to Dallas or Chicago... I'd find a way to convince myself that the fact that they're such an unpredictable team, maybe they'll click on the right day and they'll upset an above average or good team on the road. But not this week. Not against the best team in the league. However, if my prediction goes well Saturday and the Ravens, in fact, do lose, Pittsburgh's going to be in prime position to make a run at the postseason. Meanwhile, New Orleans clinches home field advantage throughout the playoffs by picking up a 27-20 victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Sunday Night Football is the game of the week. 
Kansas City Chiefs are going to travel to Seattle, and this is huge. Again, a loss here by the Chiefs combined with an L.A. Chargers win Saturday night. It's going to propel the Chargers into the number one seed with a 12-3 record, while a loss here would drop the Kansas City Chiefs to 11-4, giving them their first two-game losing streak of the year. On the flip side, Seattle can clinch at least a playoff berth with a win combined with a Vikings loss or a Redskins loss. So huge matchup on Sunday night, and I, for one, am not going to miss it. It's a tough game to pick, and I want to take Seattle, but this Chiefs team is something else. They've lost three games this season by a combined total of seven points. That makes me very worried, and if I were you, I would stay away from betting this one. My concern here is the Kansas City defense. I know Seattle's offense can have some success against a pretty lousy defense in the Chiefs. I've been saying it all year, and I haven't been wrong yet. The Chiefs are going to have to outscore Seattle. And I know what you're thinking. Wow, genius. That's how you win a game, by outscoring your opponent. Sure. But I really mean that. Because Seattle is going to gain yards. They're going to score points. But can the Chiefs' offense bail out their crummy defense on the road 1,800 miles away? Weather may be a factor. They're going to be playing in one of the top three loudest stadiums in the NFL against the seventh-ranked scoring defense. Can their offense bail them out? My gut says no. It's going to be close, and I would not be shocked if I'm wrong, but if I got to choose, I'm going with Seattle. Uh, Seahawks win 30-27. to And Monday Night Football, the last Monday Night Football game of the year. How sad is that? And how sad is it that it's a total dud? Total snooze fest of epic proportions of a game. Two teams eliminated from playoff contention. But you know what? I'm tuning in because it's games like these that you think back to in March when there is no football and you say, man, I could have watched and I should have watched more football. Denver Broncos and the Oakland Raiders. As far as a prediction goes, Jesus, who cares? It's Christmas Eve. It's a division game, so it's going to be competitive. But if I'm going to spend time watching a meaningless game like this, I'm not going to waste even more time covering it. Just for shits, I'm taking Oakland 24-20. I'm eating, drinking, fucking Santa Claus. And that's it, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this very special Christmas edition of the Join My League football podcast. I want to share this thing like we did last week. I really appreciate that. However you're listening, whether it's Anchor or Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever, hit that share button. Enjoy your holidays. Remember, no episode next week. I'll be back prior to Wild Card Weekend. And I'm going to close this thing out with a full song by one of my very best friends, Jake. Check out his band, Vile Cynic, on Facebook. I think they got some videos up on YouTube as well. And if uh, for some reason you're in the Bradley Bourbonnet area this weekend, check out their show at the Looney Bin on Saturday. I'm going to be there partying it up. Come say hi. Buy me the drink that you owe me as a token of appreciation for giving you this podcast loaded with correct predictions and money-making advice free of charge week after week. Enjoy the games, win your uh, fantasy championships, and more importantly, I expect everybody to have a very Merry Christmas.
Where's the Tylenol? 